Welcome to episode 12 of Cinebabble. I am your host, Ken, and this is my co-host, Clint. Clint, tell everybody, hey there. Hi, I'm here too. <laughs> we co-host Clint is here. Co-host Clint. We need, we, need, we need a solid opener. We need like a tagline yeah. or a... Are we both co-hosts? Yeah, we're both co-hosts. Co-host is equal. Okay. That's a... I never know how that works. Yeah, I, th- I think. Okay. I don't think you're secondary host if I say, you know... Am I calling myself host? I don't think That's so. That's when I wondered, like, am I, are we both co-hosts? Am I an Andy Richter to your Conan O'Brien? No, you were definitely not. Welcome to episode 12 <laughs> of Cinebabble. We are your hosts, your oh. lovely co-hosts, Ken and Clint. Clint, tell everybody, hey there. Hi again. <laughs> Still <laughs> here. leave that not. on there. I, don't, yeah. don't cut around that. I, no. I want that all preserved for Just, prosperity. You can see the process. Excellent. Like Working it. it out. I like it. Uh, we're here in the studio, and the studio smells much better this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife was absolutely mortified that we kept talking about <laughs> sewage backup <laughs> last week. She's listening back to it, and she's like, "What? Just stop. Why are you as if I can stop? It's recorded. It's right. done. Yeah. Uh, but she's begging being, me to not mention it anymore. You're just being fully transparent. I was. I it's was. For the, for the people. For the people. Yeah. Know what our situation is. Exactly. Uh, so this week, uh, the studio smells much better. I'm in a much better mood. I don't feel like punching the sky, <laughs> which, which is an improvement. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Other Do you than, punch the sky frequently? Yes. Is that a yes. I'm full on like Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. I, you know, I punched a hole in the moon kind of thing. Wow. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. Usually when plumbers say we're going to be there and then surprise, we're not. That's a little irritating. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we won't bore you with those details. All is well here. In I sh- I'm sure they want to hear Studio Clinton Ken. I want to hear about it. Well, we'll you know. wait until later. Yeah. We'll just have the Leaky Sewage podcast. Just oh, a yeah. special bonus episode. Leaky Sewage. Let's do it. I do. I think it'd be great. I'll make the soundtrack for it. <laughs> I need, need a, a little of dripping, Leaky Sewage jingle. Just dripping water. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Perfect. All right. Well, Clint, uh, this has been a busy week. I know we kind of had to tackle and watch all three of the movies we're reviewing this week. We we had to watch them this this past yeah uh, couple of days. So we haven't had a lot to watch. But uh, what are you watching about, Clint? I have two things quickly, and I'll just go right into one after the other, all right. kind of back and forth. Sounds good to me. I watched a little movie. Um, called Greener Grass that just popped up on Hulu. I had seen something like a... Actually, I had heard the directors on a podcast I frequently listen to, and it caught my interest, so I was glad it popped up and got to check it out. It's, uh, yeah, called Greener Grass. It's directed by Jocelyn DeBoer and Don Lube. Lube? Lube? It's not French. Okay. (laughs) It's a comedy. And it is a delightfully odd, weird movie. Um, Kind of in the vein of like, I think they're really inspired by David Lynch and um, John Waters. It's kind of got got that feel. What's the premise to it? Well, the premise is it's kind of set in suburbia, just like a highly like... um, just concentrated version of suburbia and they play like soccer moms and uh, they play the main characters, the directors. And it also has um, Beck Bennett from SNL who plays, um, I think, Jocelyn's husband. And it has uh, Darcy Gordon from um, 
um, what is it called? Oh, The Good Place and like other things like Barry. You, you know who I'm talking oh, about? Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. So she pops up as the... <laughs> As the kid's um, teacher, and her name is Mrs. Human. <laughs> and it's it's just so weird. The whole, it opens with uh, Jill, like they're at a soccer game, and Dawn is, no, Lisa, Dawn is her real character, her real name, but Lisa is complimenting um, Jill on her new baby. What is your problem? I was just moving that microphone. <laughs> Trying to do it without distracting you. Fail. <laughs> Go on. You just slowly went for it and is hopefully. So anyway, greener grass. Yes. <laughs> Complimenting her baby, and so Jill. Jill just says, "Well, here you can have her," <laughs> and gives uh, Lisa her baby. Okay. And it goes from there. And it's just odd. And the, the music is straight out of like Twin Peaks. It's just this very soft uh, synthesizer music. Um, and I do not think you would like this movie. <laughs> so I don't know if it's a recommendation to you. Okay. It's kind of like in that vein of like um, Tim and Eric um, or, or kind of like almost like in how, fabric. How long would it take me to figure out if I'm going to enjoy this like if i started watching five minutes five minutes yeah okay well i'll give it five minutes yeah i i enjoyed it it's really strange it's just a really quirky sense of humor it's very visually interesting like it's just suburbia on like 11 and everyone's dressed in pastels and um everyone drives golf carts around this (laughs) town it's like just this little suburban commune okay but I, i thought it was really fun um and for just like this little indie like comedy, it was really well done. Um, the other thing I watched is um, it's called What Did Jack Do? And it's David Lynch. They I think it's a short he did like in 2016, but Netflix just randomly put it up. So really? I don't I hope that this is like a sign for the future that maybe he's gonna be doing more things for them. Okay. I don't know if that's the case. Well, but it's kind of the quick hit. The quick hit is David Lynch. It's only 17 minutes. It's just this little short. And David Lynch plays like this detective and he's interrogating like in this train station, um, this monkey, Jack, um, Jack Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> and he's there. He's, there's a murderer on the loose and he's kind of suspecting the monkey had something to do with it. Oh, and the monkey... Is voiced. I'm pretty sure it's David Lynch, and it's kind of like pitched. But the lips, is you know, like that old um, Conan skit, where it's just the lips, the lips, like on Tom Tom Arnold or like uh, Schwarzenegger. It's like that, and it's just this monkey with this human (laughs) mouth, and it's just like them speaking in non sequiturs and just like total cliches, and um, and you kind of are gathering that maybe this monkey had something to do with a murder, and it's it's delightful, and I haven't laughed that hard in a while. Perfect. And it's it kind of reminds me of like an old short that he did like back in the what the '60s or '70s when he was just getting started. It's just okay. black and white and grainy, and it's a good time, good way to spend 17 minutes. Sounds great. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'll check that one out yeah. for sure. What did Jack do? What did Jack do? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's all I have. All right. Had to move on to our three things that we had to get out of the way. But you going to ask me what I'm going to be watching about? 
Come on. No, let's plant. just go and do something else. You gotta, uh, <laughs> you gotta care a little, man. You gotta gotta invest in your co-host. We established this at the beginning. We're equals. You didn't seem this to care when I was talking. Had to adjust the microphones. I adjusted the microphone, but I was riveted by baby swapping. I was just. I was mm, right there. Did not see it on your face. It, it was. What did you watch, Ken? <laughs> I fell down the reality show rabbit hole, oh. weirdly. I started watching Making It with, uh, it's on Hulu. Yeah. It's hosted by Amy Poehler and Nick, Nick Offerman. Offerman. And it's just, it's, I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful to me <laughs> watching, uh, one, these contestants of different art styles and, and they use different uh, mediums just trying to tackle a project Mm -hmm. at the same time. But Nick Offerman and Amy Poehler are just absolutely adorable. And I love them to death. And it makes me want Parks and Rec back. But this (laughs) will do for now. Have you seen uh, that uh, Nick Offerman and Megan Mullally have a podcast now? Yeah, it's pretty fun. Yeah, I enjoy it a lot. I also just listened to the Conan episode with (laughs) Offerman and and his wife. And that was a lot of fun, Mm -hmm. too. I really enjoyed that. Jenny and I tried watching that show. Yeah. And I think I don't we didn't enjoy it for snobby reasons <laughs> because Jenny and I are both artsy people mm-hmm. and she does a lot of crafts mm-hmm. and uh the level of crafts they were doing were not interesting to us as yeah. much as we love both of them. It just It's definitely some are very good. Yeah. And some are like balloon art. Yeah, or macaroni. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah. well, okay. Thankfully, those people kind of disappear quickly mm-hmm. and then you're left with some pretty talented people. Right. But I enjoyed that. And then Zumbo's Desserts, hmm. which is this Australian dessert show on Netflix. Okay. That is essentially... Uh, almost a straight ripoff of Willy Wonka. Just oh, okay. sort of, let's bring some chefs into a kitchen and do some outlandish desserty kind of things. And it's fun and sweet. And, uh, sweet? It's sweet. Sweet pun. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the thing the thing that I get caught up in in both of those is it's not the reality shows where people have drama or conflict yeah. or any of that. It's just here's some talented people. Let's watch them do some talented things. Hopefully they can pull it off under pressure. I enjoy that much. Yeah. More. From what I know of like foreign um, reality television, what little I've watched of like British shows mm-hmm. that in that vein, they're a lot friendlier yeah. and like yeah. supportive and it's not cutthroat. So no. Yeah. And so just, you know, both of those. Uh, those are fun if you if you like those sort of things. But I just man, I got really lost in those. But the thing that I it's really nice watched too, once this in a week, while. it is. It was a nice little yeah. breather. The thing I really watched this week was Avenue Five. Yeah, Avenue Five. Uh, first episode hit HBO, uh, and this is from Armando Iannacci. Yeah, Iannacci. Iannucci. Iannucci. Yeah, sure. something like that. Sure. He. Uh, there's got to be a website somewhere where they just have. Like phonic pronunciation. What I want names. is that I can just put it into Siri and she can pronounce it for me. And then I don't have to worry yeah, about it. Yeah, or sound like that an idiot. That would be amazing. Yeah. Exactly. Because I definitely just sounded like an idiot. But I Avenue can, 5. I mean, I can barely is... pronounce my name. So, I mean. <laughs> this is from the creator of Veep. Um, mm-hmm. And it is, it's essentially the same as, um, uh, what was the movie that we reviewed? An- Anaria or... Aniara. Aniara. And it's just about this this large uh, cruise ship sized spaceship mm-hmm. out in the middle of space. It gets knocked off course, and the employees and the passengers find out that instead of a eight-week journey to this planet they're going to, they're now going to be stuck in space together for three or more years. Yeah, yeah. And 
somehow I wasn't sure how it was going to work because I know his style and the tone he brings to thing and his type of comedy. I'm like, this is a really kind of out there concept because right. usually it's political. Usually it's very down to earth for lack of a better term. And uh, this, I'm like, how in the world is this going to translate? And I had an absolute blast with this show. Yeah, me too. Um, they had a lot to introduce. So it, it wasn't like it was the most amazing right. hour of comedy I've ever seen. Yeah. But all the elements are there. I think it's going to be hilarious. Yeah. You can see his touch where it is going to be the politics of the ship and yep. different people's personalities and yep. I, I love the figurehead captain. Yeah. That was a great little surprise. Uh-huh. And the, the dim-witted uh, trillionaire. <laughs> that was fun. I loved how the ship actually gets knocked off course. Yes. <laughs> rather than the kind of like uh, misleading uh, – Comet that's going by. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And somehow, strangely, uh, more in line with real physics yeah. than any other plot line I've seen in a sci-fi movie that's similar to this, mm-hmm. where a ship gets knocked off course. As soon as they said the reason it gets knocked off course, that was I was just that's, that's <laughs> grand. Yeah. That's brilliant. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So it's a lot of fun. It's got a great cast. Uh, Hugh Laurie kind of jumping between accents. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of fun. Josh Gad. That threw there. me off so much because I was like, oh, he's doing a really bad job here. And then they all of a sudden start noticing it. And I was like, oh, it's brilliant. Yep. Okay. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's what I, to my ear, I was just like, did he just yeah. slip out of his accent? Yeah, he's yeah. He's actually very good with his American mm-hmm. accent. Nope, definitely on purpose. Yeah. Uh, and then just the bickering couples and everything. I'm I'm really looking forward to how this show plays out. Yeah. And I'm sure it's going to be much more than just kind of a space farce. Yeah. Uh, they're already kind of pointing to some some things that he does with all of his work uh, just to kind of satirize the things in the now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. So it's definitely on my list. I never watched House with him, but mm-hmm. what made me really fall in love with him was that, um, did you ever watch The Night Manager? Yes. Yeah, and I thought he was great in that. Yeah, he was really good in that. He was really good in the last couple of seasons of Veep. Yeah. a very deadpan yeah. delivery, That's but he, was, you, he right. was really good yeah. as her, um, I guess, kind of on again, off again, running right. mate mm-hmm. or, or opponent. And um, fling. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just good fun. Check out Avenue 5. It's only one episode in. So uh, this week I'm actually looking forward to Picard is up now. So I'm going to oh, yeah. take a look at that first episode. You can watch that first episode for free apparently. Uh, you don't have to subscribe to the CBS uh, streaming service yet. I'm sure I'm going to anyway because I want to watch all of Picard. But a couple of little space fun fairing adventures there. You sound like you're being paid by CBS. Thank you. <laughs> I am. CBS, where all the entertainment is. Yeah. I don't think that's their actual tagline. Well, they're missing out if it's not. (laughs) (laughs) We're all the entertainments. We got all the entertainments you need. Hulu who? (laughs) Hulu? (laughs) That's even better. And then the only other thing I watched this week, I believe you watched as well, was uh, the third episode of The Outsider, Mm -hmm. uh, also on HBO, based on a Stephen King book. Now, the first two episodes of this, we agreed, were were solid and interesting, and and we were curious where it was going to go and and how it was going to play out. I've read the book. You haven't. I was already really happy with with kind of just the... um, There was a lot of disdain in your voice when you said that. Was there? Yeah, just like, you haven't. (laughs) No, no, that wasn't intended. I was actually. Maybe that's just uh, me feeling it. That's okay. I'm literate. You aren't. We're all (laughs) under. 
don't understand. Just, okay, just straight shooting now. Okay. <laughs> just secrets out there. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, uh, what my illiterate friend has interrupted me on is saying that <laughs> we both enjoyed the first two episodes. I was really impressed because I've read the book <laughs> with the uh, the accuracy of the adaptation. I, I love when they just kind of stick to the author's work. When it lends itself to that, I don't mind change. But I was really enjoying how dead on to the book it was. Then we get to episode three, and I've got some concerns, Clint. Yes. And my concerns are it is still sticking to the book, but it is it is not – it just suddenly felt like it wasn't quite clicking. It It suddenly felt forced. It felt like they were trying to find their footing or what the show was going to be, and they were having a really hard time balancing some of the supernatural elements with some of the the, the realism. Mm-hmm. And I just – I felt like it was disjointed. What mm-hmm. was your thoughts? I kind of felt the same way. I mean – I don't know if I noticed much as you because I can't read, <laughs> but it did feel like <laughs> I don't want to. It's a choice. That's okay? your choice. That's your prerogative. And you don't have to because, man, McDonald's drive through yep. I've got picture menus. Go on. I'm surviving by those picture menus. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the pretty picture show was <laughs> showing me one thing on the screen, but I don't know what you were gathering because you read the book. So I don't know if I was missing some things, but I was starting to feel like, do we want to do a short rundown of what has like the show's about? Just Sure, to sure. Outsider is about uh, this small town where this man is accused of murdering uh, a small child. He's the coach of a baseball team played by Jason Bateman. And the baseball team's not played by Jason Bateman. He's, he's every position. <laughs> <laughs> the coach, Terry Maitland, is played by Jason Bateman. And uh, the basic premise is he's accused of killing this boy. And it's it's an open and shut case. They've got fingerprints. They've got DNA. They've got video surveillance. Uh, they've got witnesses. It shows a half hour long, it's over. Yeah. We there is it. no doubt this is the guy. But lo and behold, it can't be the guy. He was in a completely different place. Mm-hmm. And so the main detective of the series is starting to clue into the fact that somehow there's two versions of Jason Bateman running around, his Mm -hmm. character Terry Maitland, and they're trying to backtrack and figure out how that's even possible. Right. So at this point in episode three, they're they're kind of hot on the case. They're slowly working with uh, the wife, uh, the... Terry Maitland's wife, mm-hmm. his his lawyer and things like that. And they're just trying to piece together what in the world happened. Are right. Clearing his name, was it him, those sorts of things. And they introduced this character in the last episode named Holly Gibney. She's a private detective with um, some quirks. Quirky. Quirky? Mm-hmm. Some quirks. She's you got kind that. of a Rain Man thing going on. And uh, she just has almost actually more of a BBC Sherlock kind of thing going on where she can just observe a person or walk in a room and kind of read right. clues and evidence and, and kind of piece together a picture. So right. that's, that's the basic Yeah. Plot. So going from there, I, I'm i starting to feel like it's kind of falling in the trap of a lot of shows, adaptations of Stephen King material, where the characters aren't quite as flushed out as what he makes them. Especially, I was noticing it a lot with the one detective character, where, uh, you know, um, I don't know his name, the one who kind of encounters 
something strange. Yes. Which which takes on Stephen King has has a little bit of a Stephen King trope where there's yeah. there's a bully type character right. that gets sort of um, influenced by whatever the entity is yeah. that's in that book. That's that's kind of a prevailing theme. And yeah. this is this is kind of a dirty cop, uh, one that you you definitely don't like. He's he's certainly rough. Yeah, and he's he's getting kind of taken over by whatever this this force is right. or this entity is. Right. So I was kind of feeling like he wasn't as flushed out as maybe what the book is. I don't know. Maybe he isn't in the book, but I feel like Stephen King, even with characters like that, can bring something to them. Yeah. And maybe but maybe it's never there. So it just was feeling like what happens in all Stephen King things where there's these side things happening that don't fully gel and they're not completely in tune with what else is happening. And he's know. he's in the book, but when Stephen King uses those characters, he's able to write what's going on inside of their minds. Uh, yeah, so rather right. than it just being a physical performance of watching somebody talk to themselves yeah. and, and battle it out, mm-hmm. you get more of a a, a dialogue right. and inside a of their mind about and... what's happening between them and whatever's trying to, to control them. Yeah. Probably the best example of that is in It. That's what I was thinking. Where Pennywise yeah. is, is going after the bully and he really right. starts to worm into his head. Yeah. In the book, you get a much more fleshed out version of this mm-hmm. guy when he's an adult and the influence Pennywise has over him and why he's trying to hunt down and kill the the adult losers. That's exactly what I was thinking. In the thinking. movie and in the TV series, he just comes off as this cartoon character, right. crazy guy. Yeah. Who, yes, he's a clown in the moon. Right. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I that's that's part of what I'm feeling, too. Um, it always seems like there's something lost in translation there when you lose that bit of being able to hear what's going on mm-hmm. in a character. And when you just have the dialogue and their characteristics, it it almost feels accentuated. Right. And it, it doesn't feel as subtle as it does in the, in the book. Yeah. And the one other thing was the introduction of this Rain Man, like Holly Gibney. Holly Gibney, it was a little too Rain Man. Yeah, for me, like I was expecting a little more. I mean, I, like you were telling me, she's in other mm-hmm. books of Stephen King's that um, plays a bigger part, mm-hmm. and so I, I guess I was expecting her to be a little more subtle because she's such a flushed out character that's been in a lot of his work, but it just feels like a character caricature. And in the book, she's much more high-functioning autism right. or Asperger's or, or whatever that's classified as. Yeah. It's much more like that. Uh, this, it it almost felt, she almost felt too detached yeah. uh, from kind of social norms and social cues. Mm-hmm. And in the book, it, it does a better job of explaining why she's a private detective. You know why she's a private detective. In this, mm-hmm. you just have this very strange character and you're left wondering, how in the world is this somebody that people come to for expertise or how did she even get into this position? Yeah. She's just sort of this character in a vacuum that happens to have all these quirks. Right. Well, she has a certain set of skills. So I kind of gathered that's maybe how she got led down that road into this uh, police kind of work mm-hmm. as a private eye. But other than that, yeah, she just... I kind of feel like she wouldn't fully be able to function in that job, especially because yeah. she well, she can't fly, right? She can't fly, yeah. and she doesn't have an easy time interacting with people. Right. 
Um, Which is a job that you definitely need the skills. Yeah. yeah. When she goes in and she's talking to the woman at the, the receptionist desk of the nursing home, that was almost comical. Like, what did you expect to happen right. here? Um, yeah. So. You'd almost feel like it would need to be something like the show Monk, where he, um, right. she has a handler almost yes. or another person working with her who can manage yeah. the things that she can't manage. And, but they, they don't have that. So it just feels like she's thrown into the deep end. Yeah. Well, and know. if they keep her separate from the other detectives mm. in the show, that'll continue to feel that way, right. I think. Uh, I can't remember in the book when they all come together and they start working side by side. Mm. But I'm I'm hoping that's soon based on how the show is handling it. Right. So we'll see. I'm going to keep watching. It's by no means. No, it's, it's I, not no, bad. No. Just it it really concerned me this yeah. week because I was really on board for the first two episodes, mm-hmm. and then this one felt like just what you said. What I would expect from a Stephen King adaptation right. in the past, where they they just miss that thing that makes the yeah the books work. It was the same thing with. Um, what was the time travel one that they did on Hulu? Uh, 11, 22, 63. Yeah. I, I love that book. Yeah. And they complete like that. Did you try watching that show? I did. And they com- was so compressed. And they completely missed the point of the main character. Yeah. Like they made him the complete opposite of what he is in the, yeah. the book. Like in the book, he's like more of this normal guy who's um, just this school teacher who gets in the middle of this. But like in that, he was like, he was a jerk. Yeah. Like he was just a jerk for no reason, like high tempered. And it's just like, why do I care? Like, I don't know. He's it, much younger and yeah. headed and all of that. Yeah. And it just yeah. like didn't, it just threw me off. And I was like, I, I think I gave up on it after yeah. an episode. Yeah. Well, I'll keep watching. I hope, yeah, it, me too. I hope it's just kind of a momentary blip. Right. But, um, just it might have just been a thing like they had to introduce a lot to that character yeah. in in one episode so you yeah. kind of i don't know how many episodes the season is maybe nine either. or ten but probably maybe it was a thing like that where they just had to do a lot in one episode to yeah. accomplish yeah, what they want for being eight or ten yeah somewhere in there so uh, yeah it didn't there in the story it didn't make me not want to watch it but no yeah yeah okay we'll yeah. probably check back in on that maybe after episode six We'll see where it goes. Yeah. I might, I mean, by the time it's over, I might try to learn to read or maybe, maybe get I can someone help else you with to it. read it for me. I can help you. I can help you. Okay. We'll start with your name. Okay. Yeah. It's going to be okay. Okay. <laughs> anyway. I don't worry about it. Today we have uh, three things that we're reviewing. Uh, we're going to kind of follow in the path we did last week. Uh, I enjoyed doing kind of the two mini reviews and then having a, a longer deep dive. And today uh, we're going to talk about three. The first one is from our wheel last week. That is Slow West. Mm, and yes. We're going to talk about this this little foreign film called Manos. Mm-hmm. And then we will wrap up with Ang Lee's Gemini Man. <laughs> and I've got thoughts about Gemini Man. Mm. I see from your face, you have thoughts Mm -hmm. about Gemini Man, so Mm -hmm. that'll be good fun. But first up is Slow West. Uh, Slow West, at its very basic premise, is about this young man uh, in the late 1800s. He is traveling Mm -hmm. cross-country. The love of his life has kind of uh, run away uh, because her and her father accidentally killed somebody. And they've kind of fled to the West to, to hide out. The young man is going to find his love, Rose. And he encounters this uh, just kind of uh, rough-and-tumble gunslinger played by Michael Fassbender. And uh, he just so happens to be hunting down, uh, unbeknownst to the young man, he's, he's hunting down 
uh, Rose and her father for quite a hefty bounty. And it's it's one of those westerns that just sort of it's episodic. It's it's about your main characters running into just different groups of people and, and different little mini adventures on their way to whatever they're trying to take care of. Clint, what'd you think of Slow West? I thought it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I I am kind of in this camp middle ground where I was like, I did not hate watching that. Okay. I liked it, but I did not blow me away okay. in any way. Uh, certain things I enjoyed more than others. Um, I thought it looked great. Um, the cinematography was really nice. I just did not attach to the characters at all. Okay. So until you said it, I didn't even realize why they were on the run. Oh, really? <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, that's why they went to the yeah to out west. Yeah. Okay. So that's just how detached I was. And it might have been because, like, I think, you know, we've talked about this before where it's like a movie just doesn't hit you at a certain point. Mm-hmm. And if you'd watched it another time, maybe you would have got more out of it. And I watched this right after watching Monos because, like, I had... Because well, it's a very different experience. Yeah. And it was late. And I... You kind of, I think you'd ask me like while I was watching those if we wanted to do Gemini Man too. So I was like, okay, I got to get these done if I'm going to catch in all of these so we can talk about them. Yeah. So um, I think maybe if I had watched it again, I would get more out of it. But I don't know. I, I thought it was fine. Where have were you, you ever, at? Have you ever seen a pool toy that just sort of is sitting in the middle of a pool? Yeah. Just sort of bobbing there yeah. in the water. That was this movie to me. Me, yeah. It just, that's it's perfect. Sort of, it's sort of floating there. Yeah. And it's harmless. Right. And I I don't mind that it's there. Yeah. It's not sinking. It's not doing anything special. It's just sort of, you know. That's a perfect I, way to put it. And it just, the whole time, like, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I enjoyed it at a very specific level where it was just, oh, where's this going? Yeah. And these are good performances. And I, I like some of the things they're doing here, but there was nothing, nothing really new, nothing really revolutionary. No, I was I was pleased with kind of the last fifteen minutes without Me going too. into much detail. I really liked that fifteen minutes. I really liked the end of it. Um, and I wished that was throughout, especially with the. There was hints of it. There were hints. There yeah. were the gang of outlaws. Yeah, and I really thought that was going to be something more. Right. I thought they were going to be more of a presence or more of a character. Yeah. And there's this there's this great moment where they show up in the middle of the night mm-hmm. and they interact with the young man and the gunslinger, but it doesn't really go anywhere. No. And there's nothing really special to it. There's nothing particularly menacing. No. Uh, which especially since what's the actor's name? It's not Ben Foster. It's um anywho. Yeah, it's Ben. Playing, yeah. Is it Ben Foster? It might be. It's, I name? think it's Ben. It's Mendelssohn. 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 Oh, okay. Ben Mendelssohn, who's also in The Insider, uh, he's he's capable. Man, that was a great transition. Thank you. <laughs> he's capable of that menace. Yeah. It just it wasn't there. Which it was, I it was trying to suggest it. Yeah. But it just didn't it didn't come through. Yeah, I and I kept thinking it's the whole time I was thinking it's a lesser um oh man. I had it on the tip of my tongue a minute ago. 310 to Yuma? No. Nope. That's um, what I kept feeling. The Coen like. Brothers. Coen Brothers? Yeah, they're Western that they just did a couple years ago. Oh, No Country for no, Old Men? No. <laughs> <laughs> the girl in uh, what's his in the oh, True Crit. True Crit. <laughs> Man, that is a comedy of errors. Yeah, really. 
sense. Um, yes, I I had it that. It did have a true grit feel. Was, I hadn't even connected. Yeah, that. and in that there was so much to grab onto oh, in that movie. That's the, so good. The dialogue is so delightful. Their relationship is still so delightful. And this, it just like I cannot. There was in the point where I should believe that he all of a sudden cares for this kid. Mm-hmm. Never happened yeah. for me. Where like, oh, okay, now I believe why he's kind of switched sides and yeah. he's going to take this kid under his wing and get him to this love of his life. Yeah, and it and it never, I never grabbed onto the point where like that. In true place. it does make that. It does make that transition. Oh yes, it makes a really smooth kind yeah. of turn there where you could uh, totally these believe guys it. start to buy into her, her quest. Right. Um, yeah, I, I hadn't even thought to compare the two, but you're right. They're almost beat for beat, the same yeah. kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And uh, so I have a couple little notes on this movie. Okay. Um, directed by John Maclean, Okay. which didn't mean anything to me until I looked it up. Doesn't mean but anything to me. He was in Beta Band. Really? Yeah. You're like a founding member of that band. Interesting. So this was like his, he did a couple shorts. I think he did a short with uh, Fassbender okay. and it kind of got him started. And then like, yeah, he, I think he did this movie. And the cinemato- cinematography is by uh, Robbie Ryan, who did The Favorite and Marriage Story. Okay. So that was like, that's why it wow. looks so good. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. It, it was just, it was a movie that felt like all of the, the elements were in place. Yeah. And the direction felt strong. Right. This The story just... The story just never quite rose yeah. to what it was trying to do, except for those last, I lo- I, last 15, 20 minutes. I really love that whole end sequence yep. so much. Yep. And I wish that there was more of that throughout. Like, even like just the quirky things with like the salt yeah. and stuff is like, oh, that's, re- that's really yep. funny. And and even that that end cap, that last 30 seconds yeah. or whatever it was, love that. Mm-hmm. Just the end of the movie was so much stronger than anything that led to it. And that would have really hit yeah. if you had felt that build. Right up to that point uh, because you're right when they get to the edge of the forest and he makes the turn and really cares for the kid um that's that's really where that movie suddenly becomes something else but you don't feel an organic turn into that right so it was it was you know again yeah fine is is a really good word for it because i'm not sad that i watched no. it. it was not a waste of time no it was good um but it it just didn't didn't strike true no yeah Check it out. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, it's on Netflix. Okay. Well, the next next movie we watched, uh, I'm gonna let you talk about first because I've I've got some thoughts. <laughs> it is it is a movie called Manos. Yeah. And it's directed by Alejandro Londes. Yeah. And it is uh, you're basically on a remote mountaintop, mm-hmm. and you have these in like Colombia. In Colombia. Yeah. You have these eight child soldiers that have Teen. essentially yes. They've, they've been kidnapped at a young age and sort of indoctrinated and, and transformed or they're in the process of being transformed into these teenage guerrilla fighters. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're put in charge of kind of a high-profile kidnap victim. They're guarding. Uh, yeah. That they're guarding. This uh, doctor. This American doctor or engineer that they call Doctora. Yeah. And uh, they also are put in charge of a cow. Uh, you can probably surmise how that goes with teenagers on a mountaintop with – machine guns and a cow yeah uh but it's 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 a relatively simple story Mm -hmm. about uh, these kids that are occasionally um led by this this adult uh kind of drill instructor for lack of a better term and uh then they're sort of just left to their own devices in the elements 
and on, in a high pressure wartime situation. Uh, Clint, what'd you think of Manos? I thought it was really good. I um, I'm kind of in this place. There's certain movies, and especially there's um, like this breed of like foreign film where mm-hmm. it's so almost just completely realistic. Mm-hmm. where you can feel the director almost hands off and he kind of set this thing in motion and he's just kind of seeing where it plays out. And I know that's not true. I know that like there's a lot of direction going on, but it just feels like so light-handed that the, you really believe that these are actually people on this mountaintop who are living in this situation and just these kids let loose in this like Lord of the Flies situation. And which... Apparently, this is based like loosely based on Lord of the Flies and okay. Heart of Darkness. Like that's where the, the director. That's those are the two things that kept coming to my yep. mind: Apocalypse Now and, and Lord of the Flies. Yeah, so that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that was the inspiration for it, and I totally saw that. And uh, there are entire sequences in this that almost feel like if I just saw that, I would think I was watching documentary yeah. footage. Uh, yeah, it was it was weirdly convincing at yeah. times, and um, I thought it was like beautifully shot. Like mm-hmm. it just the how they captured the landscape of where they are. And it's just, it's like just the kind of the energy of like these kids in this situation with all holding machine guns, you're kind of unnerved the whole time and feel like, oh, somebody's just gonna get shot. Something's gonna happen, especially yeah. the way they're waving the guns around yeah. and they're not trained yeah. in a, a professional capacity. Right. Uh, it's it's scary. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that poor cow was a casualty. Poor, poor cow. Poor cow. As soon as that cow was introduced, yeah, I was like, like, that cow's dead. Yeah, this cow, <laughs> this cow is not long for the world. No. And as soon as they were like, this, this cow as, is, is important. As soon as he's saying, you have to keep this cow alive, I was like, that cow is dead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is a plot point. Yep. But um, um, I thought it was really well done. And it's just like one of those things where you just kind of – yeah, just watch the situation because, and it's just like it doesn't give you the like, the unnatural um, kind of plot development of characters like normal movies, where mm-hmm. you kind of really grab onto one character's like situation in the movie. You kind of are just like all you're just like I don't know what's going to happen here, and I'm just mm-hmm. going to see where it ends. Um, and that's kind of where I was with it. Um, the music was really good, yeah. which was scored by Mika Levy, who did Under the Skin and Jackie. So it does not surprise me. I know. Me and then that, that totally, after I read that, I was like, oh, that, because I love the Under the Skin's yeah. soundtrack so much. And so that I was like, oh, okay, that's awesome that she did this. And uh, so that was cool to learn. And uh, yeah, I thought the kids were all great. I didn't realize until also after, and it kind of completely changed my point of view on this character. Rambo is mm-hmm. a female. I was wondering that the yeah. whole time. Because she's she has like she's the one character where you kind of grab onto, okay. and like you're, there's a sensitivity to that character yeah. that is well, not. There's something about her facial structure that made me the whole time. I'm like, that's a girl, but no, it's. I not. went back and but, forth on it too because, yeah. and then uh, the name Rambo. I was mm-hmm. also just like thinking, okay, that's it's not a girl, but at points she looked very masculine, and others she looked very like vulnerable and feminine. Yeah. And like how she was handling the situation, and like it completely made me rethink that whole um, like kind of makeout scene between her mm-hmm. and the one guy. I was like, I was like, oh, it's just these kids kind of exploring sexuality, and yeah. like they're not quite sure what it is yet. So I thought it maybe was just practicing making out, and and it's like, oh, okay, they're that's act- what I thought too. Yeah, like, like, I thought it was just two boys. Yeah, and so that made me think about like the whole thing a little bit differently. Yeah, and uh, 
So anyway, what did you think about it? I felt like I could not get my footing in this movie. Yeah. I had a really hard time because I felt like the movie just starts, sort of launches, and I couldn't I couldn't get my context. I couldn't get my bearings. I couldn't get the setting. I couldn't get the situation. I didn't understand anything that was that was really happening. Um, and so it took me a really long time to get to a place where I felt like I, I knew what was happening or mm-hmm. I understood the intended narrative. Uh, because every time I would think, oh, here's the story. And, you know, I'm a story guy and, and I have to latch on to a narrative. But as soon as I did. Amateur hour. It would, I know. I know. I'm sorry. This here's what it is. And that's that's <laughs> your your little your little barb there. Maybe you think exactly what I want to say. I fancy myself a cinephile. I think that I like smarter films than I think I really do. Uh-huh. I think once I actually get down to it, I need more conventional trappings and more conventional narrative mm. to really enjoy a movie, at least the first time. Yeah. Uh, my experience with this, so so I go halfway through and something happened that is that just does not happen to me in movies. I fell asleep. <laughs> and I was tired, but what it forced me to do was go back and start the movie over again. Okay. And that helped a lot. Mm. Um, I had a, an easier time with some of those bearings, and now I knew a little bit more where the story was going, so I latched on to that. Then I could kind of be guided through this movie in a more conventional way. Right. I was I was consistently impressed with the performances and the direction, the cinematography. All of these things were coming together. Uh, the the American actress, um, what is her name? She's in. Um, isn't that she from? Um... Outsider too, isn't that? Yes, she yeah. plays the mother. Man, she we plays Terry Maitland's wife. We're all over. We're man. We did this on purpose. A psychic link between all. Did these this things. on purpose. Her name is Julianne Nicholson. She's phenomenal. Yeah, uh, she's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's by no means a scene stealer because each one of those young actors are wow. Right. Um, and that's that's where. If this was a documentary, I would be latching on to the facts of the story and what the situation is around them. I would understand what the conflict was, what the war was, what they're fighting for, what they're really guarding, how the culture is treating these these little guerrilla, uh, you know, fighters and, and how they're coming together, how they were recruited, that sort of thing. I don't get any of that in this. Everything is inferred. Uh, and that was it was just it was difficult for my conventional American movie brain. Yeah. By the end of it, I had really enjoyed it and I, I was really impressed with it. I actually kinda wanna watch the whole thing again yeah, sometime. Yeah, I'd like to. Um but yeah, it was it was just it was an interesting experience for me where I felt like I just couldn't get a foothold on, mm. on anything I needed. And I and I l- really enjoy that feeling mm-hmm. and I I like especially if it's if it's the movie from the get-go is setting up a tone where it's not a traditional movie mm-hmm. like tone, I can grab an onto that and like realize, okay, this is where it's going. This is where the director wants to take you. You're not supposed to completely feel like you have your footing mm-hmm. throughout this. So, and if I can grab onto like that's where I'm supposed to be and know that like from early on, which this did that, I was like, okay, I, I'm just along for this journey and almost like a documentary taking in the plight of these kids and this and the situation. So I'm not looking for those traditional movie. Um, 
um, setups and uh, storytelling. Yeah. Um, one thing I did realize is I'm slightly terrified of um, muscly small people. <laughs> <laughs> the little drill instructor. And the kids are really muscly. Yeah. And it just freaks me out for some reason. It almost has like that. Have you ever seen like Iggy Pop perform? Yep. Iggy Pop is, I don't know what the height of Iggy Pop is, but he has this really strange muscly little body. And just watching him perform it gave me, and this movie gave me the same feeling. It's like, man, that, that guy is really small and he could take me. And I don't know how that makes me feel. It makes me feel weird. I'm afraid of dolls, so you know okay. I got I've got man a doll I with muscles. I mean, that, that actually wow, the hair <laughs> shot up on the back of my neck when you said that, man, because they're not muscly little creatures, so they're no. not. Wow, thanks for that. You're welcome. That's coming back Just tonight. Put that in the bank for your sleep tonight. <laughs> so yeah, it it very different experience from Slow West, um, but I I think more worth my time. Uh, regardless of my my final reaction to it, it it uh, I do appreciate the experience of it. I, I appreciate when something. It's not surprising me because of plot twists. It's surprising me because it's telling a story in a different way. Yeah, and I can feel my brain having to stretch. Yeah, to accommodate somebody else's vision or somebody else's style or or what they're trying to do. I think yeah. the only thing that would have helped me more if they had. And I would also be complaining about this. Keep that in mind <laughs> if they had done this. If they had focused more on the uh, the hostage, the doctora that they keep calling her, mm-hmm. they had focused more on her, then I would have gotten the sense of I'm supposed to be confused and out of context because she's confused and out of context. At the same time, had they done that, I would have said they're just having to use this American proxy yeah, that would to have invite been, me into right. the movie. And I would have hated that yeah. too. And it's not, I mean, it's not made by an American filmmaker. No. No. And that's what I love about like foreign films is just like, it's just this whole different angle of like storytelling. Yeah. And it just, there's, especially with like this one, there's just like this natural touch to it that um, it's really interesting yeah. to just view a movie that way. Yeah. yeah. Or a story, but rather. I'm, I'm really glad I watched it one and a half times. <laughs> and uh, like I said, I look I look forward to making that total two and a half. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious how a second full experience goes with it. Yeah. Um, now that I know where it's going and, and what it's saying and, and a little bit more. It, it definitely was a movie that sent me reading afterwards. Mm. You know, how much is this a thing? Why is this a thing? Oh, it's a thing. A thing. Uh, it's very much a yeah. thing. Um, and so that was that was very interesting. And with some of that context, I want to return to it, right? Uh, because obviously, somebody uh, that's more from uh, that that culture, that area, would understand inherently some of those right. things that just are completely lost yeah. on me. And I, I was I thought the exact same thing afterwards. Is like I wish I knew more about this situation because mm-hmm. I, I think I would get a lot more out of it. And uh, but just just a little window into it was I thought really fascinating. Well, and that's I found myself comparing it in that regard to City of God. Hmm. City of God is about uh, these young Brazilian um, uh, gangsters, essentially, but but essentially child gangsters. Yeah. But I didn't feel that sense of confusion hmm. when I watched that movie. I felt like even though it was most definitely a foreign film. I felt like it was inviting me into that world and helping me understand that world a little better in the midst of all this chaos. Um, and so it's it's not 
it shouldn't be taken as a criticism of Manos because it's very much, it's not a failing. It's a very intentional oh, decision yeah. to leave those elements out. Yeah. Uh, and it, it does force you to, I'm kind of talking myself into this movie the more I talk about it. <laughs> it's it, a good movie. It is. But it, it forces you to attach more to the characters that are in front of you because you are trying desperately to find an anchor point to understand. And so it, it makes you gravitate towards them more as humans as opposed to City of for God. Sure. You have to wait for, oh, here's my good guy versus these are my bad guys. Or here's the one I'm rooting for versus who yeah. I'm not rooting for. Well, that's for. what I was doing with it. It's like these – I was viewing them as – these kids who are in this situation who are like in their life is on this mountain and yeah. they're soldiers, but they're also trying to be, do the things that kids normally do yeah. where they're trying to fall in love and yeah. experience the things of life, but also like in the midst of guarding this woman who like, mm. um, and it's, it, I, I really grabbed onto that part of it. Just the, the human, like you were saying, their humanity in this situation. And I, I thought that was really And they really, really have no adults to teach them. No, I mean, except the, for this little muscly right, man. Right. Who just shows up yeah, it's, right. once in a while to yell to at them. To do some training. Punish and, them. Yeah. And make sure the cow's not dead. <laughs> Poor cow. <laughs> hey, they used every part of that cow. They did use every part of that cow, but they also just let that cow sit there and like groan for way too amount way too much time just yeah. like oh man somebody please just finish off the cow please just can somebody put a bullet in the cow so it stops like oh. <laughs> they're sad for bessie I know. they didn't want to say it goodbye was, it was such a, a a strange and upsetting noise it I, was. I have no love of cows but for some oh, reason i have lots of love for cows okay i'm gonna get a cow yeah, cows can't read either. So there you go. <laughs> Wouldn't be in good company. Spirit animal. <laughs> yeah, my spirit animal is a cow. I'm totally fine with that. Well, the third movie we watched this week, um, I would say, unfortunately, <laughs> is is Ang Lee's Gemini Man. Gemini Man is about Will Smith. He plays a uh, aging, He's really into retiring hitman. <laughs> For the U.S. government, a very noble hitman who yeah. has noble beliefs about mm. the noble U.S. government and their use of noble assassins, <laughs> which you can already feel, wow, this is this is not shaping up to work very well. Yeah, he really has a lot of belief in the in, in trust really, in the institutes of really this. does, especially yeah. for somebody who's been doing this for thirty years. Yeah, he really He's seems never naive, been failed until ever, this point. Ever. Anyway, he is on one last job because, of course, he is retiring. And uh, he discovers, uh, as he's about to retire, that the U.S. government no longer wants him in their service. Not only that, they want to take him out. Not only that, they have sent a younger, faster, stronger assassin after him. Not only that, it is a clone of him. It's young Will Smith. Young Will Smith. (laughs) Clint, what was your overall impressions? We'll go spoiler-free on this to start. What was your overall impressions of Gemini Man? There hasn't been a movie made like this since like the 90s. (laughs) And something was sweet about that. And then there was something just so... There's a reason about it's 20 that. years later. <laughs> There's a reason that film has advanced this last 20 years. And there's... I Just to start... I think there's a reason why I had that feeling because this has been in like production since 1997. Are you serious? Yeah, there's a long history with this film. Due to I, I did not know. So that this at all. has been a thing that's been tr- been trying to get made f- for years, um, and there have been so many people attached to the Will Smith role. Who? And I, 
I have a a list. list? Yes! Let me hear this list. Okay, this might take 10 minutes. (laughs) Harrison Ford, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Michael Douglas, Chris O'Donnell, Mel Gibson, Tommy Lee Jones, Kevin Costner, Pierce Brosnan, Bruce Willis, John Travolta, John Voight, Denzel Washington, Johnny Depp, Nicolas Cage, Brad Pitt, Keanu Reeves, Tom Cruise, Clint Eastwood, Gerald Butler, Nick Nolte, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, (laughs) Jason Statham, Dwayne Johnson, Michael B. Jordan, Idris Alba, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone and Sean Connery. So just every actor at some wow. point was asked to be in this film. That sounds like a way better movie. <laughs> All those guys? No, just a movie about this failed movie. Yeah, that nobody can get made. That's had it's just a casting session for this movie. Yeah, and these just very famous people keep showing up as themselves, <laughs> trying to get cast. Oh wow, that's a much better movie. Yeah. And I just completely disproved my reading. Thing. That's okay. Yeah, that's okay. Actually, I had it memorized. Jenny told me. <laughs> Back on board. It, it, so much about this movie was the the wrong decision. Everything. <laughs> Every choice was wrong. Every choice. Let's do it. 120 the, frames per second. <laughs> the the female CIA agent that mm-hmm. is tracking him that then he saves for some reason. Yeah, Mary Elizabeth Wood's dead. Completely blows all of her oaths and. Yeah. Also has a weird fascination and trust for the U.S. government, mm-hmm. even though she's seen things. And then just and completely gives up on that for him. They with, team up. Yeah. Then there's the Asian friend mm-hmm. who comes in and he used to work with him. Benedict and Wong. now the three of them are going to run around. Yeah. And um, wow. And then uh, he gets he gets a solid look at this kid. There's no way you would look at this kid, your clone, and not say, that's my clone. Right. That's eerily, it looks yeah. just like me. To the point she's like, did you have a son? And he says, no, that's impossible. And she said, well, there has to be an explanation. He's just like, I don't know. <laughs> really? You're not having some questions about this? You're not trying to figure out why this young kid looks exactly like you? And nobody's going to say at any point, you know what? Maybe it is you. Just maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit. So you think that implies that he either was so devoted to the job of hitman that he just took like a kind of a oath of celibacy or he's in just he's infertile. I don't know. (laughs) But but here's my problem. This is a guy who the movie opens with this hitman being able to take a shot across two miles Mm -hmm. on a moving train and taking out a target on a moving train right before it goes into a tunnel. Yeah. Two mile shot. Two miles. And this guy can't aim a pistol and hit somebody on a rooftop. This guy, even even when young Will Smith pops up into view, Mm -hmm. you're telling me this trained hitman doesn't already put a bullet in his head before like, huh, that looks like me. Which he never comes back to. Clearly he recognized him enough that like, I see you enough not to take a shot. That's weird. Yeah. But then later when they point out this guy looks like you, I don't know. I just saw him <laughs> through a dirty mirror. No, you didn't. You had him dead in your sights on a rooftop and you stopped because you're like, that guy looks was, like me. That's was that weird. after the point where they had the big motorcycle chase and everything? That's right before the big motorcycle okay. chase. That's because when that point he got a lot of good looks at him. Lots of good looks. And I still think even then he wasn't totally convinced, was he? No. No. I... This movie, <laughs> uh, it, it, it was it was baffling to me. Yeah, every decision 
was baffling to me. Nothing in the script lined up. And now that you say it's something that's been in development hell since 1997, that makes total sense. Because I bet you the list of rewrites is as long as the list of people that have been cast in this movie. Which is also strange because it also it kind of felt like to me that it was this premise that they had, but they never completely finished the script. Yeah. Because the story is so nothing and the characters are so underdeveloped that it almost felt like, well, we have this idea that, okay, there's a big actor and we're going to have him fight himself face-off style. And we'll come up with a story as we're going. We're not quite sure. That's just how it felt to me. The music was terrible and generic. The cinematography was terrible and generic. It felt like normal scenes, two characters sitting at a beach Blue screen, green screen, blue screen, green screen. That's that 100, 120 frames per second thing. Is that what that is? Yeah. Oh, it looks awful. And it was downgraded. It looks terrible. Yeah. It makes them look like they're superimposed. Every single, everything. everything looks like it's fake. Oh. Um, and I was trying to think, man, wonder, <laughs> I think I would have just probably thrown up if I saw this at 120. <laughs> just like to have to deal with this story at, yeah. in that context would have just been too much. I would have just mm-hmm. I walked out. Well, and, and a lot was made about the de-aging. They didn't just de-age Will Smith. The young Will Smith is an entirely CG character. It's mm-hmm. not a human actor. It's not, uh, I'm, I'm sure they did some mo-capping, but it's not somebody on set. It is a fully CG rendering. There's not even a stuntman, even the motorcycle scenes and everything. Really? That there was not is, a stand-in? Nope. That is CG Will Smith the entire time. Even the oh. motorcycle Well, then I, it kind of looked pretty good then. It looked pretty good. <laughs> there were the same time. it looked pretty good. Anytime there was an interaction, a physical yeah. interaction, it immediately stopped looking good. Yeah. There were some close-ups that looked pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that has to do with the 120 frames thing because they had to make it that resolution mm-hmm. and then it was dumbed down to the whatever the 30 um, frames per second now. Yeah. And so I think that helped it. it probably, if, I mean, if they just did it normal, it probably would look terrible. Because like, at yeah. that resolution, you got to make everything even better. Yeah. Well, and there were there were the quieter shots, like where he's standing there and his handler, we'll talk about that, played by Clive Owen, mm-hmm. uh, when oh. they're having conversations and you're just watching his face. It was a very convincing yeah. uh, like that whole model. The whole scene where they're in the catacombs, mm-hmm. like in that lighting, it looked pretty good. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, I mean... At the very end, not to say what happens at the very end yet... But the very last kind of sun-drenched scene, mm. that's where it looked the worst. Oh, yes. That looked uh, that like was Play-Doh bad. melting in the sun. It, it looked so tactile. Yeah. Um, we can talk about that a little more in a second. Any other thoughts that are kind of spoiler-free before we jump into uh, eviscerating this poor thing like a cow on a mountaintop watched <laughs> over by Colombian children? I felt so much more for that cow than anything in this. <laughs> Let's just go for it because I don't I don't know. I All have right. nothing else of um, subtlety to say about nothing this. else of subtlety. Okay. <laughs> Explain. Let's let's get mm. into I, I gotta understand. You gotta help me, Clint. I'll do my best. I understand people who have faith in the government. Mm-hmm. I get it. I totally get it. But even at a like local government level, even at a parks and rec level, yeah, the closer you get to the center of the government world, the more you realize the whole thing is not what it's supposed to be. It's right. not ideal. Right. 
this guy, and, and maybe that is the first element that comes right out of 1997, this guy really rings as a complete dope. Mm-hmm. The whole time he is so shocked by things not being what they appear. He sent this this person that he, he kills on the train, he's told as a terrorist, surprise, right. it turns out to be uh, somebody that's a part of this Gemini program that has been a part of creating this clone. And uh, and he's just, he's shocked that the person they told him he was killing is not the person he was killing. Is this the first time that this man has asked a question about <laughs> who he shot? He was just a blind follower to whatever he was given. I think he was just—I wow. don't know. I yeah, I I and could not gather. Maybe I don't understand assassins, but I would imagine there has to be a part of you that's a little dead. Please mm. don't take offense to that, assassins. But <laughs> it seems like there would be a part of you that's dead where you would. Well, not you have to care. shut off something like a yeah, soldier. You wouldn't care who you're shooting. You don't get to sit there and say, is this really a bad guy? Yeah. General, are you sure this is a bad guy? Well, if it's really a bad guy, I guess I'll take that shot. Why does the government have to tell this guy anything? Right. Here's if it's a terrorist. We're telling you to go shoot him. Yeah. Your government assassin, go shoot the guy. Yeah. I, I mean, was, like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> he probably wouldn't be doing his own, like, reconnaissance to try to make sure that who he's going to put a hit on is actually who he's being told he is. So mm-hmm. like, yeah, you're right. Why would he ever well, and the, be the, double thinking what's going on? Yeah. He's just, I don't know. So much is making sense now. That 1997 is really registering yeah. in my head because there's also this element of the higher ups in this government program. There's one or two that seem to be in charge of everything and they're bickering with each other. Yeah. But there's no bureaucracy. There's nothing around them that suggests that there's a paper trail or that they have to navigate uh, kind of in the shadows. In the Bourne movies, you get this very specific sense that these kind of upper government secret organization people are having to really kind of watch their steps and maneuver around things. In this, they're just operating in the open to the point that they're just having mom and dad disagreements and then I guess sending assassins after each other, but not. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very confusing to me. Yeah. And I just uh, cannot quite gather the whole Gemini program thing. No. Like, when was this set in motion and why Why was he exactly? Like, I guess he because he was a highly skilled assassin. So but, Clive Owen was an assassin with Will Smith. Yeah, or they were in some program together at some other point. But he went from being just normal assassin to in charge of this super secret government program. Yeah. And they developed this clone. And in the absolute most ridiculous thing the entire movie tries to present, <laughs> it's that Clive Owen, <sighs> who has created this program that was 20 plus years ago when Clive Owen would have been young. Right. Doesn't make any sense how he was so important back then. Yeah, because they're like Will Smith and him are the same age. So at some point their paths diverged and instantly he's like, I'm going to do this. I'm super important and I can start this cloning program. Right. Anyway, not only does he start this cloning program, but he raises Junior Will Smith as as his his son. son. Yeah. As his own son. I, I just, this is... Straight out of the face-off playbook. Yeah. It that just... whole, like, side story of, like, their interact interactions 
where like his father and son and he's trying to prove his love to the son and like that he has his best interest at yeah. heart during yeah. this whole thing and like it's so convoluted and strange. And at one point, Will Smith is rattling off to Junior what he uh, what he knows Clive Owen did with him when he raised him, as right. if Clive Owen trained him the same way. But Clive Owen and Will Smith are about the same age. Yeah. So yeah, one thing if this is the super old uh, Tommy Lee Jones, type, right, right. Uh, okay, now it's yeah. still stupid, but uh, okay. Uh, but uh, it it just. My loss of words is exactly what my brain was trying to do while wrapping around every plot point of this movie. And it felt like it was at equal parts trying to be big, dumb fun mm. and trying to be more important than it actually was. Ooh, let's make it a father-son relationship. Yeah. Let's examine that. Let's see what happens when the clone thinks he's human and he has a dad, but the dad is evil. And I thought the exact same thing when they introduced that. Like, they're, like they think they're being really clever yeah. by, like, it, it, trying to examine this, like, relationship. And it was like, no, you're not. This, you're just, you're failing. It's dumb. <laughs> and is dying. <laughs> he's just thinking about this relationship and getting emotional. Oh, it's okay, oh my bud. Goodness, <laughs> I tried to take a drink of water because I just needed to. Man, wash down the taste of this film. Cough. <clears throat> so then, yes. <laughs> so then we have what starts as a ridiculous, ludicrous dirt bike chase with guns and all of this. Can I say one thing about this before you sure. completely either destroy this? Sure. There were actually like, and this was. Part of this and some of the other action sequences, I actually enjoyed because <laughs> I think the action, the like 120 frames per second, kind of lended to like a level of clarity to like there's no motion blur to anything. Yeah. So yeah. I kind of enjoyed seeing these stunts and stuff in that situation, even though it's not diverting my attention from the stupidity of this whole thing but what, what diverted my attention okay was at some point he loses a gun i couldn't track where but okay yeah young assassin loses a gun uh now he decides in his high assassin powers that his most effective mode of taking out old will smith is to attack him with a dirt bike now, this is a I shot like that was in the trail, okay? <laughs> and I knew he was going to accelerate at Will Smith, hop off the bike, and the bike was going to smash into the car. Yeah. I'm okay with this. Yeah. It's one move. I liked it. What the trailer did not reveal is that before he lets the bike go and launches at Will Smith, he just drives at him a lot. <laughs> And he flips the wheel around and hits him, and he tries to run over him, and he keeps turning around and driving back. And I was just... Yeah, I don't know. I don't care how um, <laughs> well-trained of an assassin you are. <laughs> if you get smashed in the face <laughs> with the back wheel of a dirt bike, I think you're knocked oh, out. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're done. Yeah. Um, and I, again, there were just there were strange logic choices. Two police cars roll up on this mm -hmm. just as young Will Smith's about to kill old Will Smith. And young Will Smith, highly trained, vicious assassin. He's afraid he's of cops. Like, Ooh, cops, I got to go. Mm -hmm. And he's gone. Like, what? 
seriously? And it was just, it was it was peppered with moments like that. He just is really in tune to the cultural <laughs> undertones of police and black man. That's <laughs> police and black man. Police and. <laughs> is that a thing? Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> black lives matter, man. In Italy? Yeah. Isn't that where they were? I don't, I don't know. know if that's a thing in Italy. He's aware of it, though. Maybe. He's like, no different here. <laughs> Gotta go. <laughs> so this this continues on to this point where Junior finds out that he is uh, a clone. And he has the predictable crisis mm. uh, emotional breakdown and just, I'm a clone. I wasn't born. Uh, which I get what they're trying to do. I was trying to put my, my mindset... Uh, or my mind into that of an orphan. And if I'm an orphan versus I'm a clone, I, I don't see that being a giant emotional point for me. Oh, I was made in a lab instead of my parents completely abandoned me. Isn't that kind of an upswing? Doesn't that feel like, ooh, that's perk. But anyway, he has, he has his little crisis and he instantly turns on his father. Mm-hmm. So this person that has raised him, stupidly, this person that has raised him and guided him and seemingly has a really good relationship with this kid, he's going to completely turn on him and side with weird old originator of my face. DNA. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> it felt like at that point, I mean, I don't want 15 more minutes in this movie, but it felt like there are 15 minutes missing where he yeah, goes that, through a that, process yeah. of turning to where he wants to help uh, old Will Smith. Mm-hmm. And even talking about it, I, I can't I can't even get it all straight Yeah, trying to explain it. My brain shut down at some point during this film. <laughs> I was just like, give me another motorcycle chase. My, my absolute, of course it is, moment in this movie is when a, they, they team up. Yeah. And they're stuck in this little shop and they're fighting off all of these henchmen. Can you tell me one thing first? Sure. Okay. <laughs> what happened to Benedict Wong? Does he die in the car? Yes. Okay. He blows up. <laughs> okay. Because he when, was just there and not there. When they said everybody out. He did And not. they all supernaturally teleport out of that You know why? Vehicle? You want to know why Wong. he didn't hear this? <laughs> He couldn't hear it over the chomping of crackers <laughs> because that was my favorite part of this film. And the best bit of acting in this film is when they first meet up with Benedict Wong. Can I have a cracker? <laughs> he asks Mary Elizabeth Weinstead, who's eating crackers, hey, can I have a cracker? And I thought that was like, that was a really good choice. It really was. Yeah. Really, and, and they had even pointed out that they were expired crackers ahead of that. Yeah. There's a lot devoted to those crackers. Yeah. There was a lot more <laughs> than devoted to those crackers in a yeah. lot of elements of this film. No. Everybody else supernaturally teleported out of the vehicle. Yeah. Whereas he just sat there and went, huh? <laughs> Mid-bite. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, they grieve him for briefly before they mm-hmm. kill 30 people. Mm-hmm. And then lo and behold... Here comes uh, another assassin that's in a bicycle helmet instantly. Oh, yep. Will Smith clone. Cool. Yeah. <sighs> sure it is. But you don't know that for the entire fight, except that this is some sort of weird superhuman. It's Idris Elba from Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> and he is half bulletproof and 
pretty fireproof until he shouldn't be. Well, all like and, um, physical sensation sensation is removed from, him, so he doesn't have any feeling. And I guess I think that's kind of what they hinted at. Like he yeah. has no, like he's just yeah, he's emotionless. Yeah, and he, his nerves don't right. Whatever they don't conduct pain. Uh, he's supposed to be this super soldier, but the whole time I'm watching this. Okay, this character exists. Mm -hmm. This third or this second clone exists. Why didn't he? Why <laughs> would you not send yeah, him the first. super painless soldier yeah. after the old man? Mm -hmm. that's send the one without emotions. Exactly. Send the one that's way more deadly. Yeah. Send the one that's half bulletproof. Send that kid at old Will Smith. Mm -hmm. So the moment it, it was revealed, it, it completely deflated any, there already wasn't anything before that, but it deflated whatever there possibly could have been. Rather than the 20 odd years of like emotional attachment that he's put into this one kid, right? he instead makes like 30 of these like super soldier emotionless. Don't need a dad. Don't need a dad father figure. And, uh. And that would be so much less work. They're yeah. just completely just soldiers. At one yeah. point, he unleashes on. Yeah. 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 How was I, I just. That oh. was my first. Yeah. Also, Clive Owen is a pretty badass soldier, too. Like, because that whole there's a whole fight scene with him where he's like, it's like, why didn't you? You could have just done it. He's too. holding his own yeah. with young Will Smith. I know. They really make the, the first clone of Will Smith just look bad. Yeah. His job. He's, right. he's not really good. No. Everybody beats him that mm -hmm. you see in this movie. The girl beats him. Will Smith beats him. Uh, Clive Owen beats him. Like, he doesn't actually ever win or kill anything until he teams up with old Will Smith. Then he can take out the the faceless henchman. But... Right. I mean, there could have been something to, to that whole situation, like the whole 30 years of experience that old older Will Smith has yeah. um, versus, like, this younger version of yourself that hasn't quite gathered all that knowledge and experience yeah. and you're faced off against each other, but they don't really explore that too thoroughly. Well, they even mentioned with Clive Owen, like, why didn't you clone yourself? Yeah. And I hadn't even thought of that. Uh -huh. But then as soon as they said, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Why didn't you clone yourself? It makes way more sense. Yeah. I, I just, there was so much in this movie where they seemed to point at their own flaws their own thought, flaws. yeah. And they didn't address them in a clever way. They're just like, yeah, that's that's weird. You're right. Because he, he literally just says, well, he's better. Mm -hmm. I, I think he's better. <laughs> okay. Weird narcissist who has cloning technology but somehow doesn't clone himself. He has that a very tracks. low opinion of him, his own abilities. <laughs> Insecurity. Yeah. It's like, no, he's better. No. But even that would have been much more interesting. The oh, I'm going to make a more perfect version of myself that doesn't have. Would it have been fun if these the second clone was him? Yeah, yeah. I've been yeah. good with that. I, this movie was still been terrible. But yeah. At least that would have been like, ooh, okay. Yeah. Mm, interesting. And I'm pretty sure that was a younger Will Smith than young Will Smith, right? That was like a boyish Will Smith. It wasn't fully matured yet. Or he like wasn't. He was taken out of like the incubator too soon. So Maybe. he was a little he looked kind gooey. Of, Kind of 15-year-old yeah. Will Smith. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, you're right. Because maybe he didn't clone them at the same time. Maybe. So it's... 
I couldn't quite get a, yeah. a, a beat on it because one, he's not showing any emotion and he's in the middle of fire while he's dying. Right. When you finally see yeah, his face. Yeah, when they take off his helmet. Yeah. So it would have been <laughs> it would have been even better if it was just like full alien resurrection Ripley version of a clone where it's like, kill me. <laughs> Just all all warped and yeah. deformed. Or like, yeah, like he was really taken out of the incubator too soon. So he's like, just like mutated. Wasn't ready. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last thing I have to say about this movie. And I know what it's going to be. Do you? Yeah. Is it the ending? Oh, yes. Okay, thank goodness. I mean, that's kind of logical. So the, end. The, the most offensively 1997 thing about this entire movie is that it has a happy ending. Ugh. That the clone turns on his surrogate father and the the originator of his DNA, old Will Smith, and I guess the CIA agent, even though they aren't together, they're sort of the pseudo mom and dad and they've sent Junior off to college. Yeah. And, oh, he's going to live his life and be a normal boy and we're going to have our happy little Pinocchio ending. I I just I couldn't believe what I was watching. <laughs> I just, yeah. I started to laugh. Yeah, out me loud. too. That was an amazing moment. Couldn't believe it. Yeah, and it's just it's mom and dad coming and checking up on kid mm-hmm. at college, and he's got like a jean jacket on. Yeah, and it's all sunny. He just got when they CG just took him to old navy, got him some new duds. <laughs> they sent him off to college. He's yeah. got his new friends, yeah. and he doesn't have thirteen layers of PTSD. Yeah, he just needed a semester at college. Yeah, with and he's some friends. Completely forget about his years totally. of assassin training. Totally. Yeah. Uh, and he's completely normal in socialization, even though the only interaction he's ever had in his life is with his weird, not clone dad. That would be an amazing follow up as him in college, <laughs> like dealing with like, you can't like completely suppress this training that he has. And he just like, like has flashes of like violence that happens and everyone's just like, oh, be like a junior. different world, but with a clone yeah. <laughs> going to college. Assassin clone at college. <laughs> I would watch that film. That would be worth my time. Yeah. Put Jim Jeremush on that. Let him make that series. I'm in. Yeah. I'm into that. All about it. Yeah. But yeah, the, the ending was so... I almost thought they were all going to laugh and then the screen was going to pause. Yeah, or like they the jump in the air like, oh, and yep. like freeze. Yep. It was, it's, man, as soon as you said 1997, that made so much more yeah, sense. Yeah, because it feels like a film from the 90s. So much more sense. It feels like Face Off. I want that list of actors because I want to go back through and I want to lay awake tonight when I don't want to dream about muscly dolls. And I want to think about and imagine each of these actors in this movie, in yeah. the era that they were they were attached to it. I know. It would one. It actually might have been fun to see it made back then where, like, they couldn't really perfect the cloning kind of idea. So it was like it's kind of got a weird 80s, 90s, like, version of this. That might have been interesting. Well, and I'm assuming that was one of the things that that kept it from being made was who's the young actor to match any of these guys? Because they clearly couldn't do anything with CG or DH or any of that. So it just had to be a younger actor that looks like them. They could do that whole like split screen thing. Like, you know, where where it's a clone clone. Yeah. But no, the other person is just like wearing a wig that kind of makes them a little bit younger looking and just like some makeup like Bruce Willis. Yeah, Bruce Willis with a wig, like Looper style. Man, 
What a movie. Yeah. I did I honestly did not think it was going to be this bad when I when I got a copy. I was like, "Oh, this is this is something we can watch. The kids are talking about it. Let's see what's what." Yeah. Oh my. It was it was something. It was definitely something. It was something. So I'm I'm saying highly recommend, right? Yeah, I, I you will have a good time. <laughs> I actually and did enjoy some of the action in it, especially oh. with just the idea of the filming at 120 frames because it did make it look different yeah. to me anyway. It, it wasn't a level of motion blur that was absent, so that mm-hmm. you kind of saw the action clearly. And I th- and see, I was misunderstanding that as poor compositing and CG and and poor effects. Oh, okay, because I kept uh, my brain kept reading it as green screen. Oh, so I think if I would have known that, I would have been able to, I guess, pay a, a, a better attention or. Or view it a different way, but I just kept thinking, man, this looks weird, and they've done a poor job of piecing this together. Did you not know it was filmed at Iowa? No. Oh, okay. No. I yeah, that was like that's that. his Angley's whole next new to thing. Zero interest in this movie okay. from trailer one, where it was just like he took a person and made another person. <laughs> Instantly knew like this is not a movie that's going to be great. Yeah. Um, I thought it was going to be a little better than what it was. Mm-hmm. Oh well. So uh, slow west. Worth some time, yeah. but uh, just okay. That's uh, another... Manos was definitely worth watching, and Gemini yeah. Man, take it or leave it. You, it was... you might have fun with it. Um, going back to Slow West, that was one of where I was thinking our conversation where it's like, if you had saw this in the theater, would you mm-hmm. have been upset rather than not essentially free, but just viewing it on Netflix where it's readily available mm-hmm. to you? Maybe. I don't know. It's it's so hard to separate that out now. Yeah. I think I would have been more disappointed with it in the theater. I think so. Because it would have accentuated that, but you didn't do enough. You had the elements, but you didn't do enough with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that ending would have felt even bigger and, and stronger. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure there. I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's for an alternate reality discussion. <laughs> we should do that sometime. We should talk about like... Movies that we liked, but we would have hated in the theater, or or vice versa. Right. That movies. Uh, well, I don't know. I got to form that one better, but yeah, I think I think there's a way we can come up with a formula or an answer to that question. I think uh, I think we just need to put my literate brain together with your illiterate brain <laughs> and come up with something that doesn't require too much reading, but still smells of genius. <laughs> We'll figure it out. Right. I guess. Are you ready for for a movie wheel? Have you named this thing yet? Oh, I kind of like the. Would you call it the Movietron three thousand? Yeah, something like that. Movietron three thousand. I kind of dig Movietron three thousand. Okay. Last blood. Oh, Clint, no, Clint. Why, Clint? No. Oh, Clint. I didn't want to watch Rambo Last Blood at all.
it's not even a free one. We've got to pay to rent it. <laughs> is it like a readily available out like on here? Oh, on, yeah. It's it's like it's, it's not going to be like a $14. Rent, no, it's it? it's only like four bucks. OK, but man, this movie is not supposed to be good. <laughs> It's just we not. just watched Gemini Man, so it's maybe, gotta be okay. Yeah. I'm gonna watch this before we watch other things that we're reviewing next week, so maybe I can get an upswing after Gemini Man. Oh, okay. <laughs> <sighs> gotta get in the game here. Rambo, Last Blood, Rambo. Oh, I, can do I this. hated the last Rambo, this. so this is gonna be. I can do this. Yeah, we can do this. I really love First Blood. I love the first. Me too. Rambo. I like the first one. Um, it, but it's it's a completely different film than, than oh, yeah. everything that came after it. Rainbow Two even has a, a little bit to it, but it's it's got a little too much '80s cheese. But the first First Blood holds up. Yeah, it's very good. Uh, I do not hear the same thing about Last Blood. So, oh, Clint, just you have to look to the big picture of next week us talking about it. That's okay. our goal is to get there. That's the fun part. Okay, we'll have fun okay. talking about it. Will we? Yeah. Okay, we'll find out. We'll find out. <laughs> There's always some level of enjoyment, even if it's a bad film. I, I had a good time talking about Gemini Man. It was a much too. better time talking about it than watching. Yeah, that's just what you got to look to for the Rainbow Last Blood. Rainbow Last Blood. Yeah. All right. So uh, join us at home. Watch along. Watch Rainbow Last Blood. Yeah, you can't blame me. It's the wheel. Share. Movie Tron 3000 did it. The pain. Yeah. Movie Tron 3000. Yeah. It was the amount of silence after the role finished. Your face, I knew. I was like, oh, no. It had to totally click into what it was. I was like, why did I? Because I was just thinking about First Blood. Yeah. And I was like, why did I put that on there? And I was like, it's not First oh, Blood. Oh, no, that's a real movie. <laughs> Last Blood. Oh, that's right. <sighs> All right. So uh, we're going to cover some other new releases next week. Um, and then we'll uh, we'll tackle Rambo Last Blood. Maybe we watch it together, have some popcorn, hold hands. That might be fun. We should one of these weeks we should do a live watch <laughs> and record when we know it's gonna be bad. Yeah. We should record while we watch the movie. We could record us watching it and then intersplice it with our review yes. of, of key moments of disgust or enjoyment. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Let's go to the tape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, until we return for Cinebabble episode 13, uh, I am Ken and this is Clint. Mm-hmm. We are co host equals and uh, we'll partners see in see this. Partners in crime, illiterate partners in crime. One of us, anyway. <laughs> Till next week. Bye.